0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly
1: profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have an amazing guest and Mr. Steve Case. Before we dive in, I wanted to ask you a real quick favor would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Steve Case has been an active investor in manufactured housing communities for over 24 years. He has been involved in all areas of the industry, including education, serving on the board of a Manufactured Housing Association, consulting on the construction of the Community Series Manufactured Home, and also being a founding member of SECO, which is an industry-wide conference. He's even gone all the way to advise financial institutions on the creation of chattel community owner finance programs. So, Steve, we are really excited to welcome you to the show today.
0: Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you having me on. Very few subjects I love to talk about. And this would be one of them, uh, but yeah, I'm excited, and hopefully, I can give some information, some tidbits, and stuff to put in people's toolkits that'll help them in this area.
1: Oh yeah, I don't doubt it. I'm sure you have a lot of golden nuggets to share with the listeners. Would you mind starting out by just telling us your story, Steve, and how in the world you got into manufactured housing?
0: My story is a little bit unconventional, uh, actually. I was an Air Force pilot and uh, spent 20 years in great job. And in 99, which was about six years before my retirement, I moved to the middle Georgia area and decided I really didn't want to be an airline pilot when I finished with the Air Force. So I started poking around and I actually went to a real estate conference in the fall of 1999 and met two people that, <laughs> but how unfortunately both of them are gone, but it really impacted my direction. One of them was Lonnie Scruggs, who wrote the book uh, Deals on Wheels and several other books, and a gentleman by the name of Ernest, too, who had some training and some uh, called Huge Profits in Mobile Home Parks at the time. So I met them, read their material, kept in contact with them, and started investing in parks in 99 while still in active duty. About a year later, I started into self storage, which Ernest was also an advocate of. But and then I retired in 05, but I kind of built a portfolio of parks up before my retirement in 05. Stayed in the industry. I'm just counting before this show, Andrew and I, have over the career, it's not many, but 18 parks that I've bought, sold, or owned okay. over the past 24 years. But along that frame, too, in 2005, myself and another gentleman, uh, Corey Donaldson, started up mobilehomeuniversity.com. We started doing some training nationwide at events called Mobile Home Millions. We did some boot camps, had a couple of home study courses. For about five years, four years actually, and we stopped in 2008 uh, for a variety of reasons. My kids were getting in that age group where they had ball games and so forth. So I wanted to be a part of that. Of course, we know what happened in the 08 economy kind of slid a little bit. And I uh, had so many, probably at the time had 10 or 12 different properties and different asset classes. I just didn't have time to manage them or to really put a lot of effort into them. So I made the decision I was going to stop the educational piece. Uh, Went on to sell Oklahoma University to uh, Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds, which they've taken it to a much higher level than what Corey and I had it. Uh, And then I got on the Georgia Manufacturing Housing Association board for a few years to help formulate some policies here in the state. And I've always loved training. I did uh, used to do four-ship formation training in the Air Force on a T-38, so that spilled over rather well in training on this asset class. Uh, But I've always loved it. And also in 2008, myself, Spencer Rohn, and David Roden started up this little group of of local park owners called SECO, which has now grown into a rather large event, which, by the way, starts next Monday, this September the 11th. It's for small to medium community owners is what its primary focus is, where we give our knowledge along with the other speakers. You'll be there, I know, speaking on a topic uh, and helping them be successful in the industry. So it's it's been a good ride. I'm not as active in the acquisition part anymore. Uh, I've got my property, my portfolio is pretty much the way I want it now, just turned 60. So kind of on the back burner, but I love helping people in this industry.
1: That is fantastic. You know, I would say like one thing that seems to be like a recurring theme is that you're an educator, you're a trainer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know we've been working together a little bit on SECO and kind of getting ready for that. Is that just a natural inclination you have to just helping the next generation, or is it just something that you're just really well, passionate
0: Well, I've by? always, you know, since the time I was in the service uh, training people to fly, I always loved that part of the aspect. That was the best job I really ever had while I was in the Air Force was the T-38 formation instructor there in Mississippi. Uh, but I'm also, Andrew, very cognizant of the next generation. Uh, I talked about my mentors, and there were more than just Lonnie and Ernest, uh, how they spent so much time in training me and helping me be successful, that I think I owe that to the next generation. I think we all do that are successful in this business. So it's been a passion to help those that are really willing to go out and get their hands dirty and work. And I enjoy doing it. I enjoy seeing what we used to call the light bulb come on when somebody finally gets it, understands it. So it's, it's just been fun. It's been a passion of mine. Uh, just mentoring a few people and I'm just hoping I can be a small part of their success. Some have been really successful. Matter of fact, I'm a couple of the guys speaking at Seco, I had the opportunity to mentor many, many years ago and they further, they've much more surpassed my success in the industry. They're going to be speaking this year, but uh, I remember when they were brand new newbies, we called them, and they've done well. Uh, ben Brayband, Jefferson, Lilly, Ben, two of them. Oh,
1: wow. That's yeah. so awesome. When I first got into the business, Jefferson has a podcast, and yeah, yeah I would say he kind of helped you know me get into the podcast. Him and Kevin Bupp had had a couple of great podcasts yeah. that helped me learn the business, and uh, yeah, just wonderful. I'm just so impressed that you you learned directly from Lonnie Scruggs because if you know those that know my story, that's that's how I got in the business. I accidentally got two mobile homes in Ocala, Florida, uh, tied up. And was able to buy those, and got on YouTube and stumbled across some videos, you know, of Lonnie doing a live event, and you know that's how I learned to do the deals on wheels model, and and got into manufactured housing. So that's fantastic that you, yeah. Well, from Lonnie him, right?
0: was a super guy. Those of you who didn't never had an opportunity to meet him or get to know him, he was just a jewel at heart. Probably those uh, videos you saw were from the, some of the events he spoke every year at our mobile home millions conference. Wow, uh, just a great guy. Very down to earth, simple. He made it very, very simple, which is I've always tried to portray, keep it simple. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I've been blessed over the years to have some great guys that I could rely upon and, and learn from.
1: I love that. And I, I wonder from your years being an Air Force pilot, you know, what did you say, 20 years, You mm-hmm. know what, what did you carry over? What attributes did you carry over into you know, your commercial real estate business that, that you think really mattered?
0: I think probably two that stick out to me. One of them is kind of a checklist approach. One of the things that I'm trying to do at SECO this year with the educational piece is to help people not make mistakes when they're buying, operating mobile home parks. Uh, The biggest mistakes that I see people making right now in the past four or five years with due diligence and not understanding how to value a deal. Ernest had taught me years ago to come up with a checklist for due diligence because I did it all myself. And so that checklist approach, making sure I checked every box, make sure that I didn't miss something was a big key. Uh, Also, with my management, uh, the largest park that I owned at one time was 360 pads and probably the smallest was 40. So when I had managers on site, I, I always gave them the ability I didn't micromanage them. So I gave them the ability to give me new ideas, new changes, new ways of doing things. Uh, I empowered them. I, I tried to get them to to believe it was their property. They were running it as their own as an owner. And that seemed to help. I got much more buy-in uh, and those two things empowering people and a checklist.
1: I love that. I played football in college and my defensive coordinator was a huge fan of the Blue Angels. And we mm-hmm. always did debrief meetings. After every practice, after every game, and you know exactly going over the the checklist of hey, what went right, what went wrong, exactly. so that's fantastic. I love that, Steve, what do you think is the toughest hurdle for investor operators to overcome in mobile home park investing? Uh,
0: the biggest hurdle that I've seen, and i I don't know if you would Andrew call this a hurdle. I think it's more of a uh, a barometer of Easy success or tough success. And Mm. that is to find a property that meets your investing style. Uh, I see a lot of folks, they want to get into this industry, but they've got to understand what is the difference between a turnaround park and a turnkey. And they really don't know the difference. Well, there's a huge difference. You know that you've been involved in both. A turnaround requires a lot of work, a lot of capital, but the payoff is big at the end usually. Turnkey, you're going to pay more for it. Maybe you only need to tweak a few things. So they really don't understand if if someone that's not ready to put their boots on the ground and to do a lot of work ends up buying a turnaround mobile home park, the chances of success are slim, to n- very slim. But if you know that going in and that meets your style, like my, my entire career, the first part of it was nothing but turnaround hmm. parks where. There was no money made for years or in a lot of cases until I sold the property. So I think that's one of the biggest hurdles for the actual investor is to understand what fits your lifestyle, what fits what you're looking for, and go out and try to find that property. Now, obviously, everybody wants a turnkey property because it's easy. They're harder to find, but the better opportunities are in the turnarounds if that's you know, what you feel like you can accomplish. If not, please don't buy a park that's a turnaround or you're going to be sorely disappointed.
1: That's great advice. And I was going to ask the next question, which is, hey, how has your strategy changed, you know, through the 24 years, you know, of owning parks? And it seems like you started with the turnarounds. Mm -hmm. Did you kind of mature into more stabilized assets?
0: Yeah, it was kind of funny. You know, like like I said in the beginning, or you said my bio, you know, I, I got involved in both industries back when, let's say, that the big equity groups or the big money wasn't in it, and that was self-storage and that was uh, MHC. Uh, probably the first six or seven properties that I purchased were all turnarounds, empty lots, had to do rehabs, had to put homes in there. Uh, fortunately, I had other income, so I didn't need the income from the properties, and I would... In virtually every case, before I got it full or got done with it, I would end up selling it. Um, Sometimes I would 1031 exchange into the other another park, or I would put it in storage. And at that time, when I put my money from MH into storage, I bought a property that was cash flowing and much easier to operate and so forth. So, yes, in the beginning, it started that way. And then probably about 10 years ago... I decided, you know what, I've done enough of that. My storage portfolio had grown pretty good that I'm going to just look for more mature turnkey type operations that I just need to tweak. And that's kind of where I settled. I, you know, I have three communities now. That's pretty much all that I want. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, I have two. We just, I just sold a small one. So it's 147 pads, two communities. They're local. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough from all the investments to have it paid for. So it's a really good cash flowing, both properties. That's pretty much where I'm at. Unless something local comes up, which is a couple that I would buy in the local area, I probably am not going to be acquiring anymore. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it changed from a lot of work, a lot of travel, because I kept everything in the southeast, but some properties were four hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, A lot of capital needs using private money, which you're going to talk about at SECO. How do you finance some of your homes? And a lot of infill. uh, Tell us a little
1: bit about that, you know, like about these value add turnaround parks. Mm -hmm. What's the hardest part? Like you've been boots on the ground, hands on with these things. What's the hardest, you know, part of these turnaround parks in your opinion?
0: Uh, The hardest part was assimilating the team that, Would do the entire thing. In other words, if I had a home that needed to be demoed and sent out, and then I need another one that came in, one I had to locate the home. Back then it was, you know, some used, few new. Now it's pretty much all new, very few used. Getting the team to get it in, uh, you know, the decks, the whole thing, getting it all set up where I can either rent it or sell it. That seemed to be, the. there's a lot of moving pieces, you know, getting the permits, electrician hooking every, you you know what I'm talking about. The plumber, oh, yeah. the deck guy, that was, the, that was the, really the toughest part of putting all of that together and orchestrating it. You have one guy doesn't show up, well, that impacts two or three behind them. So that was always the most difficult part for me was assimilating all those people together. And you got to remember, I was a hands-on guy. So I did a lot, most of this myself. I had managers on site Uh, a couple of times. I had maintenance guys that, and some of the larger properties and, but they pulling permits and all that, that was not what they did. So that was the most difficult part for me was doing infill is
1: tough. Infill is tough, especially by yourself. And it's not like that's your only job, right? Because like you property management, just the day-to-day management, you know, we, we handle in-house. Did you handle that as well?
0: Uh, I did. I, I I never used a management company. I even went as far as handling the, the receivables and payables in house mm. uh, myself, which was a lot of work. But, you know, I, I finally farmed it out. And now my son's involved in business. He's got an accounting degree. So he kind of oversees all that now for the properties we do have. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of moving pieces if you're trying to do this yourself.
1: Oh, totally. Totally. Tell us your your philosophy on tenant owned homes versus park owned homes, and you know through your time in the business, which has you know been more profitable for you.
0: Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I've never owned a park that's been completely lot space rent only tenant owned homes. I've had a mixture. As a matter of fact, the properties that I have now, believe it or not, are very few tenant owned homes. A lot of park owned homes rentals because that's the market we're in. Uh, late model rentals, but it's a it, it's a, what I call my horizontal com- apartment complex. But it works out fine because the property's nice and everything. So uh, I, I've done lease options. I've sold them outright. I've you know sold some of them through the Twenty uh, First Mortgage program. So I've done a lot of different programs on sales of homes. Uh, I come to find out in my market, in the Southeast market, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, that. The leased option or rent own type programs seem to not work as well. In other words, the amount of homes I got back were just as much as the rentals, mm-hmm. once you looked at it, costs and everything. So um, I'm probably not the best person to ask on tenant-owned homes versus but, – but all of the tenant-owned homes, which I've never had a park that's been more than 20% to 30% tenant-owned, Hmm. have been fine. I just haven't been able to find that property that has all tenant owned homes or a majority of them.
1: Sure. And I know it is common in the Southeast, you know, to have a lot of park owned homes. I know a couple other operators and, you know, I think proximity is key, right? You need a maintenance crew. You need, you need a close portfolio and a good team around you to be able to manage those at a high level. Um, it's just way probably way different, right? Expense ratios and everything. Yes. Are, yes. You know, yes. much it's much different.
0: and i've got i'm I'm very blessed. I've got a great team here now. Um, my head maintenance guy is is one of the best hires I've ever had. He's been with me for four years. He's a fantastic guy. Um, Don't have to worry about him at all. If it, well, I know when he calls me, which is very seldom, maybe once every three or four weeks that I know it's a serious problem that he can't solve that he needs help with. so. Uh, yeah, and, and I pay him very, very well.
1: Yeah, no that that always helps for sure. Yeah. What mistakes in mobile home park investing have you made that you know our listeners could learn from? Several, but
0: the largest mistake there's been of all the properties I've had. There's only been two that I want to say haven't worked to my expectations. Uh, neither one of them did I lose money on, but I spent a lot of time for very little effort, and the main factor was it was in a market that I didn't take the time to understand who lived there. What I mean by that is income levels, amount of homeowners versus renters in the area. And I went in thinking, okay, that market, I know that property is cheap. I know the rents are cheap. I know 25 miles away, the rents are 40% higher. So I'm thinking there's no reason I can't get them up to close to that. And then once I arrive on spot, and after six months to a year, I realize that the people don't have the money to pay those type of rates. That that's why the rates have always been that low. So you piddle around for a while, you try everything you can think of, and you finally realize that hey, uh, you know, when the average income level down here is nineteen thousand per person, that's all you're going to get,
1: mm. x amount. Yeah,
0: and that's the biggest mistake. I've done it twice where. I thought I did good due diligence on the market, on the area, but I didn't go deep enough. So that's what I would tell people, especially if you're unfamiliar with an area. Double check, triple check to make sure there's enough income, enough people that can pay your rental rates or whatever you're selling the homes for. Even though 25 miles away, it's 50% higher because down here income levels can change drastically within 10, 15 miles.
1: Wow. That's that's great advice. How would how would you check that? Like are you getting on best places and looking at like the rental rates for a two-bedroom apartment, you know, and estimating off of that or median. Yeah, you have to
0: I, I used to use City Data was a website I would use. Uh there's some uh and I'm not sure of the names, but there's a couple of companies that you can call um I know that the due diligence partners are going to be presenting at SECO. They're going to talk a little bit about how they check during their, good. you know, what service they offer for what the income levels are and unemployment and all that sort of thing. And they're using private companies probably paying for the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I used to do is just go on city data, check that, uh, yeah. go to the Chamber of Commerce website for that city or town. And a lot of times that information will be on there, you know, medium income, that kind of thing, Uh, unemployment, that sort of thing. Um, One thing I
1: liked about city data is that best places doesn't offer is they give you a uh, percent of the population living in poverty and anything like above, I think, 15 or 20 percent. And they give you like a national average is what we call high risk. And, you know, something that we're going to need to get at a better cap rate, or, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, increase rents as much as we might have thought if we're over that 15 or 20% number. And I find that a lot of the Southeast has, you know, those pockets, like you're talking about, of percent living in poverty. And one thing that's interesting about this, because I'm on a list of uh, repos from, from manufacturer, like, from, yeah, I think it's it's like from a big repo, a manufactured housing repo email list that email me when there's going to be an auction, and you know it's what what all like the brokers get you know that sell the individual homes, and on that list I like every month I review it, and it seems like two states out of all of them have the most repos across the whole country. Can you guess which two states those are?
0: Uh, I want to say Alabama, Mississippi, but could that's be what it
1: is. Georgia, huh? That's what it is, Alabama and Mississippi. So I'm always cautious of entering those states. You know, we've seen some good deals, but I just was wondering if you've, because it's like every month, like there's like literally 75% of the list are homes from Alabama and Mississippi that are being repoed.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, a lot of times now, prior to six, eight months ago, the the retailers were snapping those up before you could get your hands on it because, you know, the deliveries were slow. They were able to sell used homes. Get them finance and all that sort of thing, uh, but now you could probably pick up those. But but Andrew, here's the thing, and, and it, it ties in with me not really doing my due diligence properly. Uh, in those two markets, I couldn't even go out and buy a home all in at twenty thousand and make it work. And this mm-hmm. was you know eight ten years ago. Okay, so let's pump the numbers. Maybe it's a thirty thousand dollar transaction today. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if you can't get more than five twenty-five a month or five fifty for a lot rent and a home, what? Yeah, you can't afford to get that house. So that's what you have to be careful of. Um, I talked to somebody about four weeks ago that was buying a park in the southeast, and I said, "How are you going to infill?" It? And they said, "With new homes." I said, "Really? On a seven hundred dollar a month all in, you're going to be able to put a new home in there?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "How are you going to do it?" Well, uh, we're going to sell the home. I said, okay, how are you going to sell it? Well, we got lenders and I said, No, you're not going to get any chattel financing. The banks have all run for the hills. They're not loaning money right now. You have to in-house finance it. So if your lot rents $450, a new home at $250 a month, that would take them about 48 years and six months to pay off, you know. So yeah,
1: yeah. do the math. That's not yeah. going to work out well. It just
0: doesn't work. So yeah, But and that's seen, the biggest mistakes I've made, you know, and fortunately for both those properties, I didn't lose anything. Uh, one of them I sold at break even, even though I spent four years on it, but that's OK. It was a good lesson learned.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that with us. That's sure. that's good stuff we can walk away with. Steve, what do you think are the most important things that passive investors, you know, we're talking people that are investing passively into like a syndication or a fund? What, what are the things that they need to look out for when investing into the the mobile home park asset class?
0: Uh, you know, I I've used it passive investors in the past for park acquisitions, I've used them for home purchases. Uh, and and I I think really three Ps, Andrew. People, promises, and places. People. Who are the people they're investing with or what person or group of people are they investing with? What's their track record? Can you take a look at a little bit of their personal life? Is it is it you know straightforward and is not a lot of drama? You know, if the deeper you can go, check the people. Uh, the second thing would be the promises. What are they promising you? Be very very careful. And you and I have both seen these these pro formas and prospectuses that gives you all this pie in the sky based on the, the perfect storm. Well, we're, the perfect storm is done. So you need to go to the most conservative storm to figure out what your, quote, return may be or may not be. Uh, I'm afraid that what's going to happen here soon with this debt situation or interest rate situation is there's so many equity groups out there that have raised hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars for all kinds of asset classes. They've made a fee going in. When they bought the property, they make a fee managing it, and they own a piece of it with little or none of their own money into it. When these things start to go south, which they are going to, this will be the third time I've seen this happen in my career, the people left in the bag are going to be the investors. Um, Of course, they're going to go back and try to sue and everything else, but I'm sure they sign their life away with all these documents and so forth. They're not going to get their money back. So be careful about the promises and then the places I highly suggest that they just like what we talked about a few minutes ago, if this group is investing in a property, let's say somewhere in South Carolina, they do a little research on their own to make sure that part of South Carolina is investable. Even though the this equity group or partner or whoever's going to be doing it, it's not bad to look and see where your money's going.
1: And and, and on that, for the for a good market, you know, do you have a couple? metrics that you recommend people look at Uh, population growth you know median home price anything like that that just if they were just going to spend five minutes real quick to look at a couple
0: uh not really any criteria you know i've always kept in the southeast so i've been pretty familiar with all the markets i've been into Mm -hmm. uh so i I haven't invested outside so i really i kind of know secondhand other than the two we talked about they were small towns kind of in the outskirts areas of georgia but uh i would say as a uh, even frank said has said this before less than a hundred thousand population probably red flag or at least look at mm. it uh, i have a, self-storage properties in areas less than a hundred thousand that do fine but uh, i would say population I, I would look at maybe population growth is it growing uh, believe it or not, there's some areas in Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia that are losing people over the past censuses. Um and that's really, you know, you're probably more in tune because you're more active now on the acquisition side on you know what what red what to look for on that side. Yeah, I
1: think, yeah. I mean you're you're spot on though, population yeah. growth. You know, you want to go where people, there's net migration positive instead of you know yeah. the other way, I think is important. And then you know, being in an MSA with diverse employment is really important. You know, you don't want yes. to go to a one-horse town. I learned that the hard way, too. You know, I <laughs> that's one of my mistakes. I bought where there was one employer and it was a big, you know, Smithfield Farms, you know, pork plant. And, you know, if they stop hiring or put the, put the brakes on or cut some people or just stop production for some reason, like during COVID, you know, it can put people, uh, you know, in trouble. So H-A. yeah, that's, that's important stuff. So thank you for that. I like that. The three sure. Ps, that's really good. Uh, Steve, what would, what would you say, uh, the perfect mobile home park looks like in your eyes?
0: Uh, perfect. Well, um, all tenant owned homes, city utilities built directly to the tenant. You know, they have to go down and sign up for water, sewer, all that electric. Uh, city maintained streets and lights, uh, the roads maintained by the city and also growing economic area would be the ideal park. Um, uh, one of the parks that I have now almost fits every criteria, which is good. Mm-hmm. I have a, it's a rental market. So it's a, that particular property is 108 pads, which is completely full, uh, but the city maintains the streets, the city, they have to go to the city for the utilities and so forth. And it's a newer park. It was built in 1999, so it's less than 25 years old. Oh, wow. uh, but there's only eight, I'm sorry, nine tenant-owned homes. The rest of them belong to me, so they're rentals. Uh, so, but, but if it's in a good
1: market, you know, and you're able yeah, to rent the market. homes for over a 1,000 a month, I mean... <laughs> yeah,
0: tricky. we've kept it, we we have a waiting list, uh, and our average stay is about two and a half years, so wow it's it's been a really good property uh one that i plan on keeping for a long time I and mean, you know with all these calls i get like nine a day want me to sell it to somebody i just stop answering but uh it's, it's great property it's one that i keep it's uh, i think it's the nicest park our emsa is about 150 thousand, and it's it works out really well
1: that's great sounds like a legacy asset so yeah kudos on that that's fantastic okay. Uh, Steve, what do you think the future of MHC investing looks like? And, you know, obviously interest rates are high right now. They went up really fast. Everybody's talking about a possible recession, but they've been saying that for you know a year or two now. You know, how do you see MHPs fitting in? And do you think that you know, based on our tenant base being that affordable housing type of tenant, that you know we could get hurt? And maybe you can touch on your experience from prior recessions.
0: Uh, one is we need a product for affordable housing. It's becoming a bigger and bigger political issue. And so our demand should always be there. I think it's going to stay there, the demand. You know, we're not building any more parks, very few. It's not like mm-hmm. the self storage industry. It's its own worst enemy right now because it's building, building, expanding, expanding because it, it's easy to do. Well, we can't do that. We've got this limited uh, amount of product out there in the MH space which is good for us operators. So I think affordable housing is going to be there uh, in 08. It stayed there. Just the, the people that bought homes that couldn't afford them ended up back in our parks. Uh, it changed the dynamics. They didn't want to buy anymore. All they want to do is rent. They got, they were really burnt out from the buying experience. So that's what converted a lot of us to, to landlords with instead of selling things and lease options, rent loans or owner financing. Um, As far as the parks themselves, I've seen an evolution, if you want to call it, of what's happened in the industry. Back when I started, the last thing you told your friends and families, you invested in mobile home parks because they would frown and look at you like you're crazy. Uh, But due to Frank, and I'll give Frank the entire credit for all this, he got big money into the industry. Uh, Some of these big, uh, what was Blackstone and all these guys, billions of dollars got pumped in. All the equity groups showed up, the aggregators. So the medium to large parks are all sought out after by these groups. And I've seen them getting swapped back and forth the last five or six years between this group. They buy a portfolio of 12 from this group and so forth. So for the small to medium operator, like I am, those larger hunter space and above parks are pretty much going to be swapped over the next few years between all these groups. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with the mom and pops, the, the smaller properties, 50, 70 pads, that kind of thing, maybe 30 pads, maybe accumulate three parks with 15 here, 20 there, and 25 there in a small market area. Uh, Those opportunities are still going to be there. You're going to have to be creative on how you get them done. Uh, One of the sessions that Ben Brabant and I are doing is called creative deal-making. I had to learn creative strategies back in the day because there was not a bank Anywhere in the Southeast would loan anything on a mobile home park. So I had to figure out how to get the money to buy these parks. Uh, Creative deals, relationships. If you make them with the mom and pops, you're going to be able to buy the deal. So I think that's where we're leaning. There are going to be some fallback from the interest rate spikes. There's going to be properties going to end up in financial institutions' hands. But I think if they're the larger properties, Hunter Space and above, they're going to search out maybe groups like you, or others that have a larger portfolio to pick these up. But I'm specifically talking to the small guy right now that that maybe doesn't own a property, wants to own one, or has one and wants to have two or three. Uh, We're going to have to search out after the smaller stuff.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great. And transactional
0: data, I think Max Baker told me, or said the other day that's down 57% this time last year. So transactions are really, really starting to decline.
1: Yeah. And, and it makes sense, right? It's harder to get deals yes. to pencil right now with interest rates you know, above 7%. So it yeah, makes, it's, a, makes it's a lot a of sense. Yeah, definitely. Steve, what do you think is the biggest threat to mobile home park investing?
0: Uh, us, the investors, I really do. Uh, Andrew, when I started back 99, 2000, we just went through this uh, green point uh, issue. You, you may be too young to remember that, but that was the same thing where they were loaning money on mobile homes to people that should never have bought them. A lot of fraud going on and so forth. And at the time, if you owned a park, the the retailers would fill your lots up for you because they were selling homes so fast, they didn't have places to put them. Well, the park owners after that, starting in 2001 or so, when all of that filtered out, started neglecting their properties. And that's when the drug... Uh, people showed up. That's when you know all of the disarray and the defunct homes in these communities started to show up, and it became a eyesore. So from 2001 on, local officials, local people started really, really having a problem with trailer parks. Now, we've changed that a little bit. Starting, I think, around 2012 or so, when more money started coming in, better operators We've cleaned up some of these properties uh, and we've actually made a dent and shown people that it can be a, a nice place to live and then a safe community. I'm afraid the people that have jumped in at the last minute and bought things that now can't their payments have went up. They can't afford to put anything in the infrastructure. They can't afford to do anything for the residents. They're going to let them turn back to where they were 20 years ago or mm. 15 years ago. And now all of a sudden the whole public eye is trailer parks need to be demoed. So really, I think that's what we have to be careful that the operators or investors themselves are our greatest enemies or could be our greatest advocates and turn these things around. But I'm afraid from what I've seen, some of these folks just can't afford to, and they're just going to let them go down
1: again. That's a great parallel. You know, the chattel crisis is probably, uh, probably just the lowest point in the industry mm-hmm. since its inception right since you know yes. mobile home park started to be developed and that was in the late 90s right you said right. what was the name of the lender green, green... Uh, it was green tree green tree green,
0: yeah green tree and then i think it was an insurance company called Conseco that bought them bought the whole mm-hmm. portfolio and almost uh, bankrupted the entire insurance company it was a big transaction
1: Totally, but, and, but and they 90, were lending. But
0: about eighty-seven percent of the loans were
1: fraudulent. Oh wow!
0: Uh, misstated income. I remember dealers, believe it or not, down here in the South, they would trade a cal- a cow for a trade-in that was worth about eight hundred dollars, and they would put fifty-eight hundred as the value and so forth. It was really bizarre.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, you know, loaning is it pretty much the great uh, you know recession, but in a in manufactured housing. And then after that, you said like 2001, all these operators that had homes pulled out of their communities and their Mm -hmm. incomes had dropped because, you know, these homes were repossessed and pulled out. Now their income was lower, so they couldn't they didn't have the funds to reinvest into the assets. Is that right? That's right. And also
0: a majority of the owners, Andrew, had no desire or weren't uh, set up or to be able to keep these homes in their park. Uh, like today, you and I, we would never let a home leave our park. If, if at all possible, we're going to buy it from the lender or do something to keep it there. Yeah. yeah. They, they let them exit. And now we have, you know, one third occupied properties of of tenants homes that were, you know, and, and then the foreclosures were sitting there, the repos were sitting there for years, sometimes get tore up, vandalized, homeless people living in them. Uh, they just kind of did nothing.
1: Mm.
0: It was a great opportunity for us that, did not that understood we will buy the repo as it sits because it saves us eight ten thousand from having to bring another one in just the way it is Uh, but yeah that's what happened and many matter of fact i bought a my largest park in augusta georgia was 360 pads and it was built in 1996 and by the 2000 it it was full and when i got it in 2007 there were 60 homes left Oh, my goodness. So 300 repos had been moved out of that property over that time frame. So, yeah, it was interesting.
1: Yeah. And that's a good point, you know, for for passive investors, if you really want to dive into this, you know, like how many homes are you buying? Right. Because now there's like pep lending triad. There's uh, a 21st mortgage. You know, how many homes are you, because now with those programs, the community owner signs on the note with the the end tenant that's buying the home, which is a little bit better model because now you're both vested in the home where previous it was just the tenant. But I think, you know, that's a good point. You know, how many homes are you signing up for, you know, if you're buying an 80 unit park, but 70 of the homes are new and still have a $20,000 note on them, you know, it's, it's far from being a tenant owned home community.
0: Yeah, yeah, you better have some deep pockets in the background to be able to snag those up if you need to.
1: Totally, totally. Steve, wow, thank you so much for all of this information. I know we kind of ran a little long, but this was sure. just a wonderful podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate on. you having me on. It's been fun. It has been. Uh, if listeners would like to get a hold of you or find out about Seco, uh, where would you direct them?
0: Well, uh, the website, Andrew, is seco, S-E-C-O, conference.com. Uh, the event's happening on uh, September the 11th through the 13th of, of 2023. Uh, you can reach me there. I'll be there uh, as well. I really, you know, going through SECO is probably the best way to get me. Uh, I I kind of, you know, like I said, I still help people here and there and locally, but I, I don't want to say I'm semi-retired, but I kind of am, but I still love teaching people and advising people. You know, I'm not a consultant per se, by hire anything like that. I don't have a course to sell. I don't have a program to, to take you to, but uh, that's the easiest place to get me. Or I guess they could come through you if they had a question and you can just email it to me.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, the SECO conference is a great conference for anyone interested in mobile home park investing. There's yes. going to be homes that they set up, you know, from actual manufacturers that you can tour. Uh, it's going on uh, in Atlanta, Georgia at the Renaissance Atlanta, September 11th through the 13th. Highly recommend it if you're interested in getting, you know, into more of an active role into, uh, you know, community ownership. Uh, but that that website, again, is secoconference.com. And, you know, Steve, thank you so much again for for coming on the podcast.
0: Oh, you bet. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Before we sign off, what's one last bit of important advice that you would give you know, interested mobile home park investors before we sign off?
0: Uh, just align yourself with the right group of people that have done the right things. We've talked a lot in the last 45 minutes of how to do things right, uh, You know that, that, that care about the tenants. That's the big thing. That care about the community. I know we didn't talk about this, but one of the projects that I've been proud of, I've done over the last three or four years is called the Perry Project. And we're going to talk about this at in one of the modules where we work together with the local community, a mayor, a city engineer, uh, a fire chief, police chief, the whole city to take a blighted community that was an eyesore to them it was very, very bad, a, a horrible operator. Uh, we we end up Myself and my partner bought the property, and with the city's help, they went in and put a million dollars on the infrastructure, turned it around, and made it a beautiful property in a year. Uh, everybody was happy. mayor loved it. We love it. The residents that stayed there, that had been there 40 years, loved it. Uh, those type of things, uh, I would say that uh, are good to, and, and I kind of went off on a rabbit trail there to mean to, but. That ha- that's what I mean by with the right people, uh, yeah. to get in with the right group, uh, to understand what you're investing in. And I think MH is a great investment. It's been wonderful for me as an operator investor. Uh, it's been wonderful for some of my investors that I've had in the past. You know, I still have one today that invests in a property with me. And we've done some great things together. He's been passive most of the time, but, I mean, he loves it. So I would say find the right group of people who are doing the right things. And are in it for the long run, not just the uh, flippers, because I see a lot of that going on. Well, we're going to buy this or exit strategies in three years to do this. Everything I ever purchased was with the intent of holding it long term.
1: That's great advice. Yeah, that long term approach. And, and what I hear you saying is, you know, when done the right way, you know, the city's happy, the investors mm-hmm. are happy, the residents are happy. It's a win, win, win all the way around it's not just coming in and jacking up rents. right? And that's your model of how you're going to hit returns, right? Because the residents lose in that scenario. So yes, that's great advice, Steve. Well, thanks, thanks again for coming on the show. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at passive MHP investing on Instagram. See you there.